0: in 1 Peter chapter 3 and I'll be starting at verse 13 and read to the end of the chapter. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 13 And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake Happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good manner of life in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. By whom also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, who at one time were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, in which few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure unto which even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. But the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So let us ask God's blessing. Father, we do pray for your blessing, pray, Lord, for your word that would minister to us. Pray Lord that you would minister its message of Christ and of salvation of his resurrection and of the hope to, of eternal life and even that the sufferings of Christ were for our benefit and so why should we fear but rather to seek to do good in all things and to bring glory to God. Thank you, Father, for your grace and mercies to us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage here, we want to consider it under the title of just simply follow Christ and do good. Uh, There are some interesting passage, uh, verses in this selection that we will address as we go through it we find that godly living before the world is for righteousness sake and for the glory of God. And so we're going to be looking at uh, several areas. Be always ready to do good even if it means suffering for Christ. Certainly doing good is a part of God's plan for us as believers. We are to seek to do good and to live rightly in the sight of of man in in the face of this evil world which seems to be so full of contradictions but for the Christian we're not to do evil but to do good and that good of course is within the context of Christ and his great sufferings for us and that we are to seek to live a, in a godly manner that would be pleasing to the Lord. Secondly Make your apologia, or defense, the word answer, I believe that is the word for apologia, or apology, and it doesn't mean to apologize, it means rather to have a defense for your belief. And uh, it is good for us to know what we believe. You don't have to know everything about the Bible to know what to say to somebody if they ask you about uh, your faith in Christ, because your own personal testimony of what the word of God says concerning Christ and of his sacrifice for us, of his death on the cross, of his resurrection, of the hope of eternal life, of those things that relate to your own personal faith is quite sufficient. Uh, For most people don't know the rest of the Bible anyway. They only want to hear what you have to say about your faith. And why should you then be timid but to speak clearly and freely? about what you believe. And so if they ask you what you believe, then simply tell them what the Bible says, not what some personal or subjective view is. That doesn't matter. You have to tell them what the Bible says. Remember, Christ suffered for you. And of course, uh, that it does mention that here. Of course, it is not only a reminder to us of the sufferings of Christ, but it is a confirmation of why we have become believers is because Christ did once suffer for us, the just for the unjust. And so he brought uh, forth um, that hope of eternal life through his own sufferings and died for our sins, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Also, remember that Jesus preached to the imprisoned souls Well this is an unusual statement here given, but it is one which um, is within the context of a very important event that took place uh, many years ago when the judgment fell upon the antediluvian people, or that civilization prior to the flood, and righteous Noah. So we'll look at that when when we get there. First of all, let us consider that um, uh, we should at all times uh, do good and not evil. And even if that doing good means that some will persecute or there should be certain sufferings that come because of it. In verse 13, uh, godly living before the world is for righteousness' sake and who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Well, we know that, um, of course, people do suffer for righteousness' sake. Some people have suffered great prosecutions because of their faith. And so, even though some people do good, certainly there are those who would do harm to them. It's not, ex- not saying that this is some guarantee that we will never fall to some particular suffering or persecution or trial. But certainly, the tenor of our life ought to be doing good rather than evil. Certainly, the kinds of things that we promote ought to be for the glory of God. Certainly, the kinds of things that we do in our manner of life ought to be such that God would be glorified through them. And so the good that we do is to the glory of God. And um, for the most part, we find that this kind of a life prevails over those who would have some accusation against you. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Well, it is true that there will be those who may bring some terror, especially if you do not live in a free country, a a nation that has freedoms and liberty as far as religion, to believe what you want to believe. Uh, If you try to stand up for Christ in a country that is oppressive, in a country that is dictatorial, in a country that will not allow its people to worship God freely, in a country that will persecute you simply because you profess to be a Christian, you can expect to have sufferings, not only just suffering, but severe persecutions perhaps, and um, there will be those who will seek you to, to do harm. But if you live in a country such as we do in the United States, you should be able to do good, live righteously and godly lives, and honor God, and most people will at least respect you for your belief system. They may not agree with what you have to say. They may not uh, always go along. They may even argue against what you believe. But at the same time, they should allow that you will have your, your belief system uh, and to worship God. I believe uh, there was just a, seems like there was just a Supreme Court case on a postal worker who wanted to have freedom of religion on Sunday. And I believe the Supreme Court ruled in his favor. Now that is a good thing. That is a good thing. Um, and it still it shows that in our country there, there is a court in the highest of the land that will stand up for religious freedom according to the Constitution and the laws of the United States. Now, if it should turn otherwise, then we know that even if you seek to do good, even if you seek to own up to your own faith and and seek to live for Christ, there may be persecutions. We know that. And we have to remember that Peter uh, is talking to people in his own day when persecutions were prevalent. When they did live under a emperor, if you will, a dictatorial and authoritarian government, they did live under um, during a time when they had masters who were over slaves. There was a a certain strata in society, a cultural um, difference between people and whatever social structure you happen to be in, if you was in the lowest common denominator of that structure, a slave, and happened to be purchased by some slave owner, uh, then you may be up for a hard time. But even so, it was necessary to do good and not evil. And in our own day, we find that it is still necessary to do good and not evil. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye... That is, uh, it is to be expected that we would bear that suffering for Christ. Happy are you, O ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And so Christ will give us an opportunity to say something for him. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to To every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so it is reasonable to believe that some will inquire as to why you want to stand as a Christian and to defend your faith, uh, to present your answer. And uh, we must be ready to give an answer, that Christ is our true Lord and Savior. That he did die on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he did rise from the dead and uh, became victorious over sin and death. He being truly the Son of God, the incarnate of God, came into this world to bear the sins of many. And so we find that we uh, we should be ready to give an answer of what Christ has done. And we should uh, sanctify or set apart... In our hearts, the Lord, and be ready always to give that answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, and notice that it is with meekness and fear. It's not with a sword, it's not with a gun, it's not with a spear, it's not with your fists to give the answer, it's not with some means of um, retaliation. It's with the word of God that we're to give that answer that it may be to the glory of God. In verse 16, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good manner of life or conversation as it has in the King James in Christ. And so... um, While we are giving that answer, uh, we find that it is because we do have a good conscience toward God that we are as those who are not evildoers, but rather as those who would seek to do good. Even though others falsely accuse or in some way defame the very um, manner of life in which we live, we know that to do it for Christ's sake To live for Christ's sake is truly what God designs for us to do. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Well, if we put ourselves in the first century, we could see why that Peter would say these things to the Christians of his own day. To help them to come to the right conclusion about uh, social resistance or those kinds of things where they might find themselves being put to the test concerning what they believe and how they were living and why they wouldn't bow down to the emperor or why that they continued under the uh, subservience of, of being a slave and, uh, and not seek to run away or to uh, do harm to any Uh, but just to live out their lives peaceably and honestly with a good conscience. Well, in Christ we find that even in our own day, we have to live with a good conscience toward God concerning the things that we are doing. If we cannot do it in good conscience, then uh, it means we're violating our conscience in some degree. And so having a good conscience that whereas some or they would speak evil of you as evildoers, that if we seek to do good, if we seek to live honestly, if we seek to live out that good conscience, uh, the design is that those people who would do harm to us will see that our faith must be genuine and uh, it would be a means of conviction in their own hearts and lives. Uh, because of the good manner of life in which we seek to live. Verse 17, for it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And here it is again, sometimes people wonder what the will of God is. Well, here is one of them, here is one of them. If the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. If we're living for Christ and seeking to honor the Lord, some may persecute you, some may design to do those things, but if you would live, it, live your life as you should, then it is that uh, you might suffer, but it is suffering for well-doing rather than evil-doing, and we are, are rather set to do good rather than to do evil and who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good well moving on to the next election remember Christ suffered for you uh, in verse 18 for Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit. And so this is, uh, of course, what Christ did for us. Uh, He is the prime example of the one who suffered for doing good. He did miracles. He healed many people. um, He fed the 5,000. He did a lot of things for others and served the Lord his God served the Lord God um, and did it well to show himself faithful to the will of the Father and of course the will of the Father for Christ was that he would do good and insomuch that he would become the offering for our sins upon the cross and uh, he would suffer for doing good uh, by those who wanted to do evil unto him. But Christ had once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And so he is our example that we might do good, that we might be willing to suffer, even if others persecuted us because we were doing good, that we might be willing to suffer. Christ did suffer for us, by whom also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, of course, this gets into one of those verses which is very controversial, some believing that Christ went to hell and preached to uh, those who were in Hades. But if we look at this passage in context uh, to the sufferings in which is mentioned to the fact of the, the doing good which Christ uh, would have us to do, even if it meant suffering for his namesake, we find that perhaps there is more to this than simply to say that he went to Hades and preached to those who were condemned, uh, the condemned spirits. As we read on, he says, who at one time were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Now this verse kind of tries to narrow it down for us that these people that Christ uh, preached to to, were within the context of those spirits who were once disobedient, who were disobedient, and uh, when God's grace was long-suffering, Toward them, And so we are taken back to the days of Noah. We're taken back to the context that there was a great civilization of people that were preached to by Noah for 120 years. And the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing in which few that is eight souls were saved by water or saved through water or borne up by water that they were delivered out of that judgment now we know there was a great deluge a great flood and that God told Noah to build an ark and to it took hundred and twenty years for him to build that ark it was no small task was it it was a gigantic boat uh, barge if you will and, and, uh, he, and so he and his family set out to build this great, uh, this great ark to deliver them during the, the flood and there had been no flood up until this time there had been no such rain that it would cause a, a worldwide flood and uh, for us as believers we take the opinion that it was a worldwide flood not just a localized flood but a worldwide flood Uh, because uh, from what we understand in the Genesis account, the boat ended up on the top of Mount Ararat. Um, And so we, and uh, what's it, Armenia? I think it's in Armenia, right? Um, Mount Ararat's in Armenia. And so here is this great ark, uh, which ended up some thousands of feet uh, over the Mount uh, Ararat and landed on Mount Ararat as the waters receded. And we find, uh, well, Noah was was preaching to these people, the civilization, for 120 years. That always amazes me, that the civilization was so evil, that every imagination of their thought was only evil continually, as the scripture says in Genesis. And that God judged that generation, that civilization, if you will, and that uh, they perished. All but eight souls. It it amazes me, it amazes me that um, that whole civilization would not turn to Christ, would not turn to Christ. Now who are these imprisoned or disobedient souls? It is believed that the best interpretation of this passage within its context is that Christ was in the prophet preaching to these disobedient souls. Going back to first Peter chapter one and verse 11, 10 and eleven. He says of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them in the prophets did signify when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow well the Old Testament prophets are mentioned there the Spirit of Christ is also mentioned here and it is believed that the best possible interpretation of this passage is that the Spirit of Christ was in the preaching of Noah for 120 years, and the long-suffering of God continued, and that uh, that is the sense of Christ preaching to the spirits in prison. Now, uh, I understand that there are other views of this, but uh, this one within the context seems to be most believable. I'll read a couple of comments to this uh, regard. Uh, John Walwood in one of his statements makes this observation. The spirits, uh, referring to those that were in prison, applied term usually applied to supernatural beings but also used at least once to refer to human spirits in Hebrews 12.23 and described in 1 Peter 3.20 as those who were disobedient when God waited patiently for Noah to finish building the ark. They had rebelled against the message of God during the 120 years the ark was being built. God declared he would not tolerate people's wickedness forever, but would extend his patience for only 120 more years. Since the entire human race, except Noah, was evil, God determined to wipe mankind from the face of the earth. The spirits referred to, in 1 Peter 3.20, are probably the souls of the evil human race that existed in the days of Noah. Those spirits are now in prison awaiting the final judgment of God at the end of the age. And so Peter refers to them as being disobedient, as spirits that were disobedient and that Jesus preached to them in prison. That is, they were held over for judgment. That whole civilization held over for judgment. Probably remains as to when Christ preached to these spirits, Peter's explanation of the resurrection. Of Christ by the spirits brought to mind that the pre incarnate Christ was actually in Noah ministering through him by the means of the Holy Spirit. So the, I read the verse uh, 10 and 11 to you concerning those uh, prophets who preach and the Spirit of Christ being preached through them. Refer to Spirit of Christ in the Old Testament, of the Old Testament prophets. Later he described Noah as a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter 2.5. The spirit of Christ preached through Noah to the ungodly humans who at that time of Peter's writing were spirits in prison awaiting final judgment. This interpretation seems to fit the general theme of the selection section. Keeping a good conscience in unjust persecution Noah is presented as an example of one who committed himself to a course of action for the state of a clear conscience before God. You see, it must have been very difficult for Noah, right? He was preaching for 120 years. Nobody believed what he had to say. He was a crazy fanatic. He was building a boat on dry land, uh, and there wasn't a drop of rain in sight. And he was telling everybody to repent, because God was going to bring judgment on them for their great sin. And uh, they considered him, of course, crazy. Uh, But he was suffering persecution even as he kept a clear conscience before God. Why? Because he was doing what God told him to do. He was doing the very thing God said to do. Build the ark. Preach to these people why you are building this ark. Tell them why you are building it warn them of the judgment to come. A hundred and twenty years of preaching and warning, and we tire over an afternoon service running more than forty-five minutes. Think about it. So, yeah, he was a, Noah was a, quite an individual here, doing the will of God, a prophet. Though it meant enduring harsh ridicule, Noah did not fear men, but obeyed God and proclaimed his message. Noah's reward for keeping a clear conscience in unjust suffering was the the salvation of himself and his family, who were saved through water, being brought safely through the flood to begin a new world that God would, his family would, of course, Bring it forth. The Believers Bible commentary also makes a similar observation. He says, Here the spirits in prison are unmistakably identified. Who were they? Those who formerly were disobedient. That's the first thing we notice. So they're not. um, Jesus didn't go anywhere to give somebody a second chance, there's no second chances. Either you accept Christ now and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't get another chance. When they were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, what was the final outcome? Only a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. It is well to pause here and remind ourselves of the general flow of thought in this letter which was written against the general background of persecution. He mentions persecution. He mentions how Christ was persecuted. He mentions that we ought to do good rather than evil, even if it meant we suffered suffered because of it. The Christians to whom Peter wrote were suffering because of their life and testimony. Perhaps they wondered why, if the Christian faith was right, that they should be suffering rather than reigning if Christianity was the true faith, why were there so few Christians? Well, uh, that, that is a very good question, isn't it? And we find, we, uh, Noah must have thought about this. If Christianity is right, if God is right, if, if God wants me to build this boat, if, uh, if, if, we're t- if there's going to be a great judgment, and uh, why aren't people listening to me? Why, why aren't they turning to God? Uh, how come there has been so many years since, since righteous Seth decided to begin to worship God after Cain had, had killed his brother Abel? They must have had a very short uh, memory uh, of things. He says, the answer, the first question, Peter points to the Lord Jesus, Christ's suffering for righteousness' sake even to the extent of being put to death. But God raised him from the dead and glorified him in heaven. Verse 22. The pathway of glory led through the valley of suffering. Next, Peter refers to Noah. 120 years, this faithful preacher warned that God was going to destroy the world with water. His thanks were scorn and rejection. But God vindicated him by saving him and his family through the flood. Well as we know there were very few people who believed. Noah believed and his household. The Philippian jailer believed and his household was saved. But it seems like that is kind of we're in the minority sometimes. There's There's a minority here today. Does that mean that you don't believe? Because you're simply a few in number? No. It shouldn't. That should it at all. No. We believe because we believe the Word of God and we know Christ as our true sp- Savior. The Spirit of Christ has been preached to us just as the Spirit of Christ was preached to them. Remember, Christ is the incarnate Christ too. He became the con- incarnate Christ, but he was also the pre-incarnate Christ. There, then there is the problem if we are right why are there so few of us Peter answers there was a time when only eight people in the world were right and all the rest were wrong only eight people in the world were right and all the rest of them were wrong <laughs> you know if somebody said that to you today what would you say it's only what two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven, twelve. You know, if all the people in the world said we were wrong, are we going to say we're wrong or we're we going to say we're right? Well, characteristic, characteristically, in the world history, the minor majority has been right. True believers are usually a small remnant. So one's faith should not falter because. Of the small number of the saved what was it? Elijah said Thought he was alone want Nobody else but, but him That Everybody else had turned away from the Lord God Jehovah And I think the Lord had to tell him There were 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal Nor kissed that stone idol you know, There was a godly remnant I think if you read um, Isaiah chapter 6 You will find there's a mention of a godly remnant In Isaiah chapter 6 as well there were only 8 believers in Noah's day. There are millions today. I wonder if it will come down to 8 people again before when the Lord takes every brings his judgment. Could be pretty bad, huh? At the end of t- verse 20, we read that few that is eight souls were saved through water. It is not that they were saved by water. They were saved through water. Water was not the savior but the judgment through which God brought them safely. God simply used that water to bear them up along with the ark in which they were held in. There was no smiley face on the outside of the ark that said God loves you. To properly understand this statement and the verse that follows We must see the typical meaning of the ark and the flood. The ark is the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The flood of the water depicts the judgment of God. The ark was the only way of salvation. When the flood came, only those who were inside were saved. All those on the outside perished. So Christ is the only way of salvation. Those who are in Christ are saved. As God himself can make them, those who were inside the ark were saved, those who are inside Christ are saved those on the outside could not could not be more lost. The water was not the means of salvation for all who were in the water drowned, so the water wasn 't the means of salvation. everybody who was in the water drowned, but everybody who was in the ark it was saved the ark was was the place of refuge. The ark went through the water of judgment. It took the full brunt of the storm. Not a drop of water reached those inside the ark. So Christ bore the fury of God's judgment against our sins. For those who are in him, there is no judgment. John five twenty four. The ark had water beneath it and water coming down on top of it and the water all around it but it bore its believing occupants through the water to safely, safety in a renewed creation. So those who trust the Savior are brought safely through a scene of death and desolation to resurrection ground and new life. And that's where we will be too, brought through to a resurrection ground and new life because of the death of Christ and the sufferings of Christ. There is also an antitype which we now, which now saves us. Baptism. He mentions that uh, in this passage. I'll see here. Okay. Verse twenty. Who at one time were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, in which few, that is eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure unto which even baptism doth now also save us. Not the putting away of the answer, no, excuse me, not the putting away of, of, um, I get my eye on the right passage here, of the filth of the flesh. So, baptism doesn't put away sin. The filth of the flesh. Baptism doesn't do that. What is it? But the answer of a good conscience toward God, that's what baptism is. Baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. In other words, if a person has a good conscience toward God, if they know that they have trusted in Christ as their Savior, that's why they're baptized. Because they, they have a good conscience toward God. Not a guilty conscience. Christ has taken their sin. Baptism doesn't save. A good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have the good conscience of God and by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How often that comes back up, you see? Very important, isn't it? The resurrection of Jesus Christ secures to us the good conscience because Christ was victorious over sin and death he was victorious he, he died and he rose again the third day he told the Pharisees the only sign that they would get is the sign of the prophet Jonah interesting Old Testament usage to point to the resurrection of Christ three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and so was Jonah interesting Okay, uh, so once again, we are in difficulty to controversial territory. You know, that particular verse. Some would like to believe in baptismal regeneration, but it's not true. This verse, verse has been a battleground between those who teach baptismal regeneration and those who deny that baptism has any power to save. Well, that's, that's all I'll read. But I think we've, we've made our point. I think that's this particular interpretation is the safest because it doesn't go to any extremes to say what it means that the Spirit of Christ preached to the disobedient souls waiting in the days of Noah. Oh, the, the the picture on the front is by Gustave Doer and these, a lot of these artists they try to depict certain things and here is. Christ carrying the cross and he's in a very dark place and he's preaching to the disobedient souls. Um, Whether that's what he really meant by that rendering I'm not sure but seemed to depict that. Jesus preached to the imprisoned souls through Noah because Jesus is the pre-incarnate Christ he also is the incarnate Christ. And he is the one who came to die for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again. And his resurrection is the confirmation that our good conscience is, is the right conscience to have before God to believe and to trust in Christ. And so I, no, I, I, I don't think that the idea that Jesus went to Hades and preached is a very sound interpretation. And it seems to pull it out of context anyway to do it to say that um, I think this is probably the very best interpretation of this passage. Follow Christ, do good and we might just have a good conscience toward God and whatever comes your way God will help you to bear up under it. Shall we pray? Loving Father, thank you for your word to us. I pray your blessing upon your word by your Holy Spirit. Minister to us the truth of it, that it may be to your glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. And for our closing, hymn number 485, Near to the Heart of God. Um, no I guess no nearer 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 my God to thee, I guess that 's it, nearer my God to thee.